Hey Genesis Metro, we have a special guest speaker, none other than Dr. Claude Thomas. His son, Brandon, has preached for us and we go back several years now. He is a true sermonator, wordsmith creator. You are going to enjoy this sermon today. Would you welcome him as only Genesis Metro can? Welcome Claude Thomas to the stage right now. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you, Tim. Sermonator, huh? Well, it's good to be at Genesis Metro. It's always an exciting time when you're involved in anything that Tim and Carrie are doing. By the way, I want to thank Jordan and the team here for great, great music and how they led us. I think you ought to recognize that. We've known Tim and Carrie for a number of years now, and they are just uh, extra special leaders and communicators and visionaries who will take no and not take no for an answer. Uh, when God says do it, they focus on it and get it done. And it's a real joy for me to be here. My wife Jan is with me, and it's a privilege to be in this service. And we do appreciate so very much the Bourne family and thank Tim and Carrie for the privilege of speaking to you this morning. As a church family, let me just encourage you, when I see families in leadership, not just a, a Carrie and, and Tim, but the family in leadership, I, want to, I just want to affirm that. Because here's what I'll tell you, that's a biblical concept, and you're blessed to have a family, not just Tim and Carrie, although that would be, uh, that's exceptional, but to be able to have a family in leadership who have the commitment and have the capacity to do it. And so you're a blessed, blessed church. And by the way, just by the way, I think revival may be already coming to Genesis Metro. It sort of seemed like it around here, the first hour and this hour. So uh, it's great to be with you. Thinking about what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Norfolk, Virginia, our second son, pastors of church there in Norfolk, and we were there for the wedding of his oldest daughter. And uh, Emily Catherine was, uh, she'd been thinking about this wedding for a long time, I promise you. <clears throat> we got there, things were in place, but not everything was in place. There are a few things that were still to be done in last minute, and you know how weddings are. There's always a last minute thing that has to be done. And so we were there, and we had the privilege I say privilege, had the privilege of helping put the last minute things together. And so all of the creativity that Emily Catherine had thought about over the years and <clears throat> the special ways that she wanted things done, all of that came together. And on the day of the wedding, <coughs> it was a very, very special wedding. It was exciting. It was uh, creative. It was the kind of wedding that you'll be talking about for a long time to come because it was a great wedding. But how many of us know that great weddings don't just happen? It takes a lot for a great wedding to happen. So great weddings don't just happen. But here I want to tell you that neither do great lives. Great lives don't just happen. You here in the room and you who are joining us online, we all know that there's more to it 
when it comes to a great life. And I want to talk to you about a great life because God desires, God designs that you and I experience a great, great life. Jesus came with that intention that we might know what it's like to experience a great life. In John chapter 10, one of those beautiful passages that we have embraced across the centuries of the Christian faith, and that whole imagery in John chapter 10 of the sheep and the shepherd, Jesus in that beautiful passage, that beautiful imagery, that great massive illustration, Jesus comes at a center place and he makes a statement that has resonated with believers and people who are followers of Christ over these centuries. He says this, the thief, the thief, he comes not except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Get the contrast. There's the demonic desire, design, and activity, and it's called to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Then there's the divine design, desire, and activity. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to talk to you about the great life. What does it mean? What's great life like? Well, the first thing I want to, us to see from this text and from the entire uh, life and ministry of Jesus is this. The great life means that you and I can overcome our adversary, the devil. You and I have an enemy. He's given different names in the Bible. He's called Lucifer, the bright and morning star. He's called Satan. He's called the deceiver. He's called the liar. He's called the devil. And Jesus says he's like a thief. He's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You look at those three words, and they're scary words. They're not words that encourage you. They're words that frighten you. To steal, to kill, and destroy. Like a thief who's coming. That's how Satan is described. And if I had only that, it would leave me in a sense of defeat. But Satan is not the winner. You see, Jesus described him like that because Jesus knew him. And Jesus privately and personally had overcome and defeated the devil. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River down the Transjordan Valley by John the Baptist. After that he was baptized, he had an affirmation from the Father in heaven. He had the Spirit of God that came upon him. And the text says, and then he was led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness. So Jesus, he, he trekked across the Transjordan Valley and, and climbed up into the Judean wilderness, and there he encountered Satan. On three different occasions, Satan came to dissuade Jesus from his mission. He came to, 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 to detour Jesus from his mission. He came to get Jesus to take a shortcut and abandon his mission. But Jesus didn't re respond to him in a way that Satan wanted. Rather, Jesus said, wait just a minute. I did not come to this earth to follow you. I came 
to defeat you. I came to defeat you. On three different occasions, Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. And when he encountered Satan, he pulled out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with the Spirit of God within and the Word of God in hand, he defeated the devil on every turn. And here's the good news for you and me. We can too. With the Word of God in our hand, the Spirit of God in our lives, we can too. Some years ago, there was a comedian. The comedian, some of you, maybe many of you would not recognize him. But I'll never forget him. He was one of these comedians that just sort of stood out. And uh, he had a phrase that he coined and made very, very popular. When he would get into difficulty and do something that he shouldn't do, he would make this phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil made me, some of you are shaking your head. You know exactly I'm talking about Flip Wilson, right? The devil made me do it. Here's the news that I want to tell you today. I want us to get it settled in our heart. If you're a follower of Christ, the devil can't make you do anything. Nothing. Why? He is defeated. Jesus privately and personally defeated the devil. But then he publicly and cosmically disarmed the devil. He disarmed him. In Colossians chapter 2, we read where Paul describes what happened. He said this. Paul did. He said, having disarmed principalities and powers, in the wilderness, personally and privately, he defeated him. Here on the cross, publicly and cosmically, he disarms him and all the principalities and powers. All the demons of hell have been disarmed. All the principalities that lie and deceive have been disarmed. He said he disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That phrase means that, that he took them like in the ancient days when a king would defeat another king, he would take all of the armies of that king, bring them in behind him, and with the king, he would publicly display that they had been defeated. He would parade them about in public humiliation. Well, that's what Jesus did to the devil and his principalities, his powers, his demons on the cross. He made a public spectacle of them. And here's what you and I can know. Because Satan has been defeated, personally and privately, because Satan has been disarmed, both cosmically and publicly, you and I do not have to live our lives succumbing to his devious, deceitful ways. Rather, you and I live overcoming our adversary, the devil. You walk out of here today, you walk with a confidence. You walk with your head held high. You walk with your shoulders pushed back. You walk with an assurance that I am not a victim. No, 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 no. I overcome the devil. Satan has been defeated. He's been disarmed and all of his team with him. You and I in the great life, in the great life, we have a champion, a life giver, who says, I have defeated, I have disarmed, go live, overcoming your enemy, your adversary, the devil. Wow. The great life. Overcoming our adversary, the devil. The great life. What does it mean? It means that you and I pass through the adversities 
of this broken world. We live in a world that's broken. You can always go back to the book of Genesis and find an explanation to the calamities that are going on in life that are inexplicable. There are some things that are happening that are very difficult to explain unless you go back to the book of Genesis. And when Adam and Eve fell prey to the deceit of the devil, it broke the whole world. It broke it all. And we live in a broken world. And one of the things that I like about the Bible is it doesn't, it doesn't hedge on that. We live in a world that's broken and we face challenges. We face adversities and we face hard places. And the Bible doesn't back off and say, oh, it's Pollyanna. You come and be a follower and you'll never have another problem in your life. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? That's not that way. It's not that way. The Bible says, let me tell you about life. Let me help you to see that we really do live in a broken world. The Apostle Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, the great follower of the Christ, the champion of the cross. Paul said, let me tell you about this. Let, let me just bring it to you. The book of Romans is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I've sort of anchored a lot of life and uh, different places in the book of Romans. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, great chapter. You ought to go home and read it and just sort of think about it. He said this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You talk about hard things. You talk about adversities. There's a whole list. And then he stands up and he says, as for is written, if that's not enough, get this. For your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're like sheep being led to a slaughter. How encouraging is that? You see, the apostle Paul is not hedging. He's not saying that adversities won't come your way. Always know this. Always know this. We live in a broken world. Adversities are a reality. Challenges are a reality. Hard places are a reality. But how do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? Just give in. Listen to Paul. We go on. I love the word yet, yet, in verse 37, yet. Here's the reality. Here are the adversities, yet. Here's the tough things, yet. Here are the hard places, yet. Here's the difficulties of life, yet. Here's, this, here's the evidence of a brokenness in our world, yet. You experience it personally, yet. I experience it personally, yet. Paul says, yet, yet, yet. Listen to this. Yet, in all of these things, he just wraps them up. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Listen, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, Paul said, I've got a conviction in my heart. I have a confidence in my soul. I know something. I know I know something. Yet I know this, that we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul listed the most tragic and difficult things you can imagine in life. And then he stands up full stature with his shoulders back and his head held high. And he said, yet in all of the face of all of this, in the face of all of this, we are 
super conquerors. The word, I love the word. You know about Nike, Nike, Nike sports paraphernalia, Nike, right? Nike is the word conquer in the Greek language. Nike, Nike is the Greek word for conquer. The Greeks had a way of doing things. They'd take a word and they'd put another word on top of it and build something. That's what Paul did here. He took a preposition. It says over and above, over and above. And then he took the word, nakeo, which is the word I conquer, and he put them together. And what he said is, we are conquerors over and above any circumstances that we experience in life. How do we do that? He said it's through the love of God, the love of God. God has moved in our behalf, who's given us a grace that we sang about just a few moments ago. We don't have to live under the defeat of the circumstances. We literally, we literally pass through the adversities of life. Paul said, I'm persuaded we pass through. How? The love of God. My dad was 57 years of age when he died of a heart attack. We're from East Tennessee, grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, across the river from Nayland Stadium where the Tennessee Volunteers played, by the way. By the way, they did win last night. If you all didn't see it, uh, I was watching the ball game pretty late, and I got a text from Tim. Late, late, late text from Tim. Anyway, uh, we're from that part of the world, and we were back over there after my dad died just to spend some time with mom, see how she was doing. He was 57. She was 55 when he died. What's she going to do? They were in the prime of life, and I know that now better than ever. They really were in the prime time of life, and everything was in place for them to live their dream, and he died. Uh, my mom I wanted to know, how you doing, Mom? How you doing? So I picked her up, and we were just driving around, going to different places there and that part of the world that we knew about. And as we drive along, I asked her, I said, Mother, how you doing? How you making it? She said to me, it's the strangest thing. And I thought, whoa. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what she was going to say. But she said, it's the strangest thing. And she said this, I don't know how to explain it, but to say it was like God just reached down and in his love, he's carrying me. Think about that. It's just like God reached down. It's a hard place. My husband, 57 unexpected they'd just been on a long trip they'd been here in dallas and go down to florida to see his my aunt and travel back and they just made on a long journey they were living life it's over it's over it's over how do you manage that hard place i can't explain it but it's just like god in his love reached down and he's carrying me. Here's what I want to tell you. Here's how you get through the hard places. You get through the hard places because of God. It's God. It's God. The great life doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean that we are exempt 
from the tough places in life. Some of you in this room right now, you are feeling that so real. All of us in the last several months, have we not felt it, that there's some hard places in life that we're dealing with with this pandemic and the uncertainties and all that's involved with that? We know about hard places, but we don't get stuck. Listen, we don't get stuck. You don't get stuck in the hard places. God says you're walking into it. You have a hard place that comes. You didn't, you didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't plan it. You didn't perpetrate it. It just happened. And when you experience that and you were in the hard place, you don't say, I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here because God doesn't leave us stuck. The word is through, is through. Jan and I love being in Israel. We've been over there several times, and one of our first trips over, we, have a, we became friends with our God, Ave Shemesh, and the Shemesh family. We got to know them, and they became our friends. And, and so we're driving one day from down in Jericho. We're going up to Jerusalem. Jericho is down in the valley, right at the base of the Transjordan Valley. Jerusalem is way up on Mount Zion, and you have to go way up to get there. And so we were driving along, and Avi tells the driver of the vehicle to pull over. He pulls over, and he says to Jen and me, get out. I want to show you something. We got out, and when we got out, he took us over, and he showed us these um, the, the monastery. And you can see them right here on the screen. That's a monastery built on the side of that cliff. Looks like they're just plastered up there. And he said, look, and he explained St. George's Monastery and how that they kept it and the priest took care of it and on and on. And then he said, I want you to look down, down. And if you look, you'll see a little road going along and that road goes up through that valley. And Avi said, we Jewish people, we call that the valley of the shadow of death. That's the valley of the shadow. And he explained to us, see the little cave? You can see a cave there. It's, it's littered with caves. And he said, that's where the thieves and the robbers, they would stay in the caves. And that's where the wild animals roamed in the valley of the shadow of death. And the roadway was very, very treacherous and the terrain very, very hard. And he says, it's called the valley of the shadow of death. Well, when he did that, he referenced, of course, David in Psalm 23, one of the most famous Psalms in all of the Bible that many of us know and many of us have quoted. Here's what David said about Psalm in Psalm 23. David was a shepherd. David very possibly had taken the sheep. That's a shortcut down in there. That, that down that valley is a shortcut between Jericho and Jerusalem. And shepherds would take their sheep up that way, a shortcut. Perhaps David had done that, but he knew about it. And David said this in Psalm 23, verse four. Listen to this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, you comfort me. So we're yesterday, we were in Oklahoma, our youngest son, he and his family lived there and we were there. He's an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew scholar. And so I'm, I know that I'm speaking on this today. And I said, Heath, I want you to talk to me about Psalm 23, verse four. What about through? What about that passage? He said, through means through, Dad, in Hebrew. It's the same thing it means in English. It's, it's through. Okay, great. I'm glad to know that. But he said, as he held it there, he pulled out his, his iPhone. I thought he might go get a Hebrew Bible and we'd look at a Hebrew Bible. No, he pulled out his iPhone. 
And he's reading his iPhone, looking at it, and he said, hey, Dad, here's something of interest. I said, tell me. He said, you know where David says right there that you are with me? I said, yeah. He said the construction, he went through the construction of the Greek word, I mean the Hebrew word, went through the whole construction. He said literally what David is saying, that you are not only with me, you are right beside me. David was saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil because you are right beside me with your rod and your staff. You encourage comfort and give me confidence that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's what I want to tell you and me. The great life does not exempt us from the hard places some of you are going through the hard places right now. It doesn't exempt us. And any time you encounter a theology that tells you that you become a follower of Christ, you're never going to have a problem again, they're in la-la land. The Bible does not picture that. The Bible pictures us as people who experience difficulties in this broken world. But we don't get locked down or locked into the difficulties, the hard places, the adversities. Matter of fact, we need to know the word through and the reality of the through. Through, through. Not into, without getting out of, but through. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about another passage. I love this. I love the idea of through. Hey, by the way, can we just together, I didn't do this first hour, but I just feel like y'all need to do it. Can we, on one, two, three, say through? Huh? Yeah? Huh? Somebody help me. Come on, help me, Rhonda. Okay. One, two, three. Good job. Good job, Genesis Metro. Through. Through. We don't get stuck in. We're not left there. We go through. Listen to this, Isaiah 43. Now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Jacob, Israel, same person, the people of God, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Love it. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Not that you'll avoid the waters. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flames will not set you ablaze. What great pictures. What great imagery. I'm not going to walk you into it and leave you there. Not on your life. I'm going to be right beside you and together we're going to walk through. We're going to walk through. That's what it means. There's not an adversity that's so great. There's not a place that you can experience that's so bad that God being beside you will not walk with you through the hard places of life. The great life means that we pass through. We pass through. Some years ago, Jan and I were going through one of those very, 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 very hard places. Place we had never been in all of our life, in all of our married life. We had never been in that kind of a place. And when we realized we were in it, the question was, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Our family, our boys and their families, and all of us, were, we were together and everybody was very supportive. 
One day, Jan and I were sitting at the table where we do our devotions in the morning. And we were sitting there. I don't even remember if we had coffee or not. We try to have coffee, but we were sitting there. And Jan looked at me with that look that only a broken-hearted wife can have. And she looked at me and she said, Claude, what are we going to do? We'd just gone through a devotion. And it was like God reached into my heart and said, let me show you what you're going to do. Stand up, Claude. I stood up. I stood up. And he said, you put your hand in my hand. And it was just like God stepped into that room. And I put my hand out like I was taking hold of his hand. And he said, now you extend your hand. And I extended my hand. And I said, Jan, I don't know what all this means, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put my hand in his hand, and you're going to put your hand in my hand, and he's going to lead us through this thing. I want to tell you, the other day we were driving from Oklahoma back or either here to Oklahoma, don't remember which, but we were on the road, and we were talking about how that God had done so much more than we could have ever dreamed or ever expected. How does he do it? He takes you through, through. We pass through the adversities of a broken world. We overcome the adversary that we have who is our enemy. Great life, great life. One more thing about great life. Y'all ready for one more thing? If you are, say "Uh uh-huh or something. Okay, good, good, good. One more thing about the great life. The great life is a complete life. It's a complete life. Y'all are going to love this. You're going to love this. After the first service of all the wonderful things that God has spoken to us about here, this is one that several people had comments about. We recognize that we have basic physical needs in life. God our Father knows that. He knows it. And so Jesus, in speaking in the most famous sermon that he has, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he said to his followers, do not worry about the necessities. Here's what he said. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Then he says, seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and all these things and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, he says to them, there's more to life than that. He said to them, is the body not more than what you wear? And is... Isn't it more than what you eat? Isn't there more to life than that? Isn't there more to life? It's not that that's not a part of life. It is. But if that's all you got, if that's all you got, you don't got what you need. Life is greater than that. Here's what I can tell you. Be confident that your father knows what the basic necessities of life are and what you need. And when Jesus came, he said, I I, I want you to know that you, you can have more than the necessities. He said, I came that you might have life. If he had stopped there, we'd have said, okay, he's talking about the basic necessities. But he didn't stop there. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Great phrase, more abundantly. It's from the Greek word, parison. What does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that you are to have way more than what are the basic necessities of life. That I have come that you could have way more than the basic necessities of life. Way more. This is life beyond our wildest dreams. You see, the great life is more than physical life. 
The great life is internal. The great life is eternal. The great life is what we would call soul life. That's the great life. In an interview, a well-known celebrity and wealthy entertainer, Madonna by name, the material girl, you know a pastor or preacher's tough straits looking for illustrations when he starts using <laughs> Madonna, but anyway, I ran across this and I couldn't help it. Here's what Madonna said about her material wealth. She said, money is like everything. Money is like sex. It's like food. Money is all, all these things are manifestations of God. They're blessings that we get, but they're not what's going to make us happy. Wow. They're not real. They don't last. There's only one thing that lasts, and that's your soul. If you don't work on that and you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. Can you believe that Madonna and Jesus are on the same page? <laughs> what Jesus offers to you and me is a life that satisfies our souls because it is characterized by peace, it's characterized by joy, it's characterized by love, and it's characterized by fulfillment. And that's what we want. We want a life that reaches internally, and we want a life that spans eternally. Internally, what do we need? We need unconditional love. We live in a world that is performance-based love-oriented. We need a love that's unconditional. We need a love that loves us because we are, not what we do. And here's what the Bible teaches us, that God comes in the person of Jesus and without condition, he loves you and me. We can be his worst enemy and he loves you and me. How our world today, excuse me for, I'm not going to digress, but I got to say it. How our world today needs to understand that we need to love people, even those that we don't agree with, those that are adversarial even to us, we are to love them because that's what God did for us. While we were, the Bible says, while we were yet enemies of Christ, he loved us and he gave himself for us. Wow, that's unconditional love. Know you're loved unconditionally. Know that you are forgiven completely, completely. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. How far is it from the east to the west? It's infinity. It's infinity. It's like the Bible says, he's taken our sins, he's cast them in a sea called forgetfulness, and to remember them against us no more forever. The devil wants to crawl upon your shoulder and shame you. He wants to call upon your shoulder and guilt you. But what God has done in the person of Jesus, he said, I give to you a great life, a great life where you can know you're loved unconditionally. A great life where you can know that you are forgiven completely. You don't have to live under the burden on your back of sin, guilt. You don't have to live with a sense of shame in your soul. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. 
no, no, no. I've come to give you a life that's different than that, Jesus said. I've come to give you a life that's internal, a life that's eternal. Never ends, never ends, never ends, never ends. When he said, seek first the kingdom of God, he's talking about something that never ends. The kingdom of God is being manifest in ways here on this earth. But there's a day coming, I'm telling you, a day coming when the kingdom of God is going to be blazing like a sun that we've never seen and everything that's wrong is going to be made right and everything that's right is going to be elevated and you and I are going to live trillions and trillions and trillions of years with Jesus in a life that we can never, ever have imagined regardless of what we've been told in the Bible. That's the life. That's soul life. That's what our soul, there is a stamp of eternity on our souls. On our souls. And it's a life of purpose. It's a life of purpose. This abundant life, this more than kind of life, this great life is a life of purpose. My friend Rick Warren some years ago wrote a book, and the book was entitled The Purpose Driven Church. And it was a great book. And a lot of, a lot of people like that book, and especially those in church world. They like the book, Purpose Driven Church. Then he had this brilliant idea that he'd write a book entitled The Purpose Driven Life. And he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And The Purpose Driven Life was everywhere. I forgot how many millions and millions and millions and millions of copies he said that he sold of The Purpose Driven Life. Why? Because we want to know that we're not just a piece of float sand Go, moving along on the sea of chaotic life that we are people here who have been designed by God, created by God, and given a purpose to fulfill by God. And that's what we are. The great life says, I have a purpose. I'm not just here. I've got a purpose. It's a divine purpose. It's a divinely designed purpose. It's a destination kind of purpose. It's what God has done for me. I've come that you might have life, but you've got to have life that is more than. It's abundantly. I've come that you might have life and that you might have that more than necessary kind of life. That you can have the life that feels the internal and eternal desire of your heart. That's a great life. And you and I can live that kind of life. How do we do it? The great life is a life where we overcome our adversary, the devil. The great life is a life where we pass through the adversities of the broken world. The great life is a life that is more than just physical. It reaches into the depths of our being. How do we experience that great life? A great life is lived relationally with Jesus and with the people of God. It's a relational life. Chapter 10. I was looking at it the other day and reading about it. And chapter 10 is a great illustration. And it's an illustration of the care of God, the life that God offers. And it's, a, it's an illustration of the intimacy that those who follow Christ can have with him. It's intimacy. You see, the sheep and the shepherd in Middle Eastern life was an intimate life. Intimate. Intimate. In the Western world, sheep are herded by dogs, but not in the Middle Eastern world. In the Middle Eastern world, a shepherd had sheep, and he was close to the sheep. He had an intimate relationship with the sheep. There was intimacy there. 
Jesus said concerning this. He made this statement. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's a description of the relationship and the provision of the shepherd for the sheep. Then Jesus paints a door, this picture of walking through a door to real intimacy, real intimacy. The average shepherd in the Middle East didn't have big, big folds of sheep. He had small, a small group of sheep, small number. And if he had 30 or 40, it was a big number. There were exceptions, but as a general rule. And so they would be out. The shepherds, you, you can go to the Middle East and you can go to particularly to Israel now, and you'll see shepherds out on the side of a hill with sheep. And at nighttime, they just sort of disappear. And you wonder where they go. Where do they go? Well, the sheep are taken to a sheepfold. A sheepfold was like a pen. In Texas, we call it like a corral, you know, where you bring the cattle in. Well, a sheepfold was sort of like that. And they, they made the walls out of bramble bushes and thorn bushes so that wild animals couldn't get in, people couldn't crawl through, or they may make it out of rock or whatever. And then you got maybe four or five shepherds that bring their sheep to that sheepfold at night, and they put their sheep in the sheepfold at night. And then one of them would lay down in the opening and he'd say, I'm the door. I'm the door. I, 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 I'm the door that chooses what comes in and what goes out. And over at night, the sheep would be in the sheepfold. In the morning, in the morning, Bedouins still do it. In the morning, the shepherd would get up and he'd step out. The person laying in the doorway would get up, make it possible for the sheep to get out. And the shepherd would go and he would call he would call, he would call, he would call his sheep. And when he called his sheep, only his sheep would get up and go to him. Why? There was that intimate relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Here's what I want to tell you. When we are living the great life, we can hear the call of our chief shepherd. His name is Jesus because we have such a relationship with him that we can hear his voice and know that it's him. One of the ways that I know that I can hear the voice of my shepherd is right here in this book. I can hear him speak to me through the words and the pages of this book. Another way I can know is by the leadership of his spirit. I can sense that he is speaking to me his, by his spirit to my spirit. My shepherd, that intimate relationship. Jesus is not far removed from you and me. Jesus is not way out thunder for you and me. And as David said, that he, God, is right beside me. I want to tell you today, Jesus is right beside you. He is your shepherd. And the great life is experienced in that intimate relationship with him. I have a question for you today. What's your relationship to the shepherd? The shepherd, his name is Jesus. What's your relationship to him? Maybe online, maybe in the room. As of yet, you don't have that relationship. But there's something inside you, something inside you. When I was just a boy, 
I was lying in my bed. And there was something inside me that wasn't right, and I knew it. I hadn't done anything atrocious except to aggravate my cousins, but, you know, I mean, I hadn't done anything really, really atrocious. But I felt something wasn't right. And it bothered me to the degree that I began to weep. My mother, in another room, heard me. She came in, got me out of the bed, took me in the living room, took a Bible, opened the Bible, laid it on the seat of a chair in that living room. And in that moment, I moved from a person who was, something was not right, to a person who was relieved of what was wrong and moved into a personal relationship with Jesus. All these decades, all these decades later, I know Jesus. And more importantly, he knows me. I want to ask you, have you ever stepped across the line of faith and put your trust in Jesus? What he does, he forgives our sins. He comes in, steps as it were out of heaven into our heart and into our life to live with us forever. And we began the journey, the journey of the great life in that relationship with Jesus. If you've never made that step, if you've never transferred your trust right here in this room or watching, I encourage you today just simply in a prayer, a simple prayer, like a prayer like this. See, I was a boy. It wasn't theologically deep. I was a boy. My mother was not a theologian. She was my mom. It wasn't any of those things. It was a simple thing. Honey, if you'll put your trust in Jesus. And I did. And for you, it's a simple prayer. Like this, you could be your, this could be your prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me as I am. I thank you for making it possible for me for, to be forgiven completely. And I thank you that right now I trust you to take your place in my life forever. If you're a believer and you're a follower and there's some arena, some place that you need to let go, let God have everything so that you can experience the great life full and completely right now. Let me encourage you to do it. Take that step forward as a follower in the great life that God has given to you. And right now, wherever you are, just celebrate the great life that is yours in relationship to Jesus. And if you don't have a place you call your own church family had the opportunity to talk to a family in the first hour about this very thing the full life the great life the celebrated life the exceptional life the complete life it comes the relationship with Jesus and experiencing life together because it's better when you're doing it together as the people of God 
so you may need this church family. And I know they welcome you with all of their hearts.